And what I ended up doing was being a mother who should never, ever have had her children. Because, you see, I am a child abuser in every way. I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I realized what I had done to my children. I am so grateful for people in Alcoholics Anonymous who are willing to tell us the truth, whether we want to hear it or not. Because I had such a sponsor. And what happened was, is I'm one of these people that had a man for a sponsor. And I think God gives us exactly what we need. And my first AA sponsor had been a captain in the Navy. He had been a Monsignor priest. And he was an only child. And I think God sends us exactly what we need. Because I was certain that what was wrong with me was the U.S. Air Force the Baptist church, and that I was an only child. And Frank was able to remove all of that from me. When I did my fifth step with Frank, when we got through, Frank looked at me and he's, Frank didn't do watered down AA. And Frank looked at me and he said, Polly, you are a child abuser and you have abused your children in every way. And he said, what you need to do is make amends to those boys. Now, I'm here to tell you that my sons, when I got sober, were 14 and 16 years old. And he told me that I was to go to my sons and I was to make amends. And that what I was to do is I was to tell them how sorry I was that I abused them. I didn't get to say, I hurt you and stuff like that. I had to use the terms to let them know that having me for a mother was not good because I was incapable of taking care of my children. I had abused them emotionally, physically, spiritually, and by blatant neglect. He talks about being a little boy, maybe 10 years old. And uh, he gets up one morning, because I can no longer put my kids to bed, and I can no longer get them up for school. And uh, at any rate, he gets up, and his mother is passed out on the floor, in the kitchen floor, and a drink is spilt. And this is, this is the reality of a 10-year-old who lives with alcoholism. And the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says that this is a family disease and that anybody who lives with a practicing alcoholic is affected by the disease of alcoholism. And my children were traumatized by this disease. And what James does is he steps over me. He gets his cereal, he gets his milk, he gets his bowl, he puts it together, he steps back over me and sits down and eats his breakfast and feels nothing. Absolutely, completely shut down. That's the disease of alcoholism. My oldest son was my caretaker. And many a time I've come to with him shaking me, Mom, wake up, wake up, are you dead? And me to come to and see the fear in his eyes. And you know, for 33 years, I haven't had to come to and see that kind of fear in anybody's eyes because of something I'm doing. And for that, I've been overpaid in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Welcome home, friend, to Season 3 of the Sober Shares Podcast, Episode number 84. My name is Michael, and I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I've been sober since October 10th of the year 2000. The purpose of this show is to share the good news that recovery from alcohol and drug addiction is possible. 
I am glad you are here, and I hope you find what you're looking for. This podcast only means a support or donations. All funds will be used to pay our monthly operating expenses. This is not a for-profit venture. Please visit SoberShares.com and click on the Donate button to help us. And now I'd like to mention a few listeners by name who made a financial gift to move this project forward. Thank you to James M., Eddie B., Susan C., Heather L., Barry K., Jack K., Tyson B., Janet A., Brendan G., and Nicholas I. I would like you to email me your listener feedback and comments to mike at SoberShares.com. Let's go over a little bit of listener feedback. Amanda S. says, This podcast is a godsend. You are really making a difference. Health and happiness for all. We've got another bit of feedback from SoberShares Podcast Facebook group. This one comes from Frances C. She says, I am 151 days sober, and I owe much of my peace to this podcast. It gets me through the hard days, the easy days, and all the in-between days. Thank you, Michael, for sharing your gift of sobriety with us. Listening to your goals for 2024, I have so much hope for you. Here's to many more 24 hours of miracles for all of us. Thank you, and God bless. So thank you, Francis C. I want to read a little bit of feedback that was sent directly to my email address, mike at SoberShares.com. This one comes from Susie C. She says, Hi, Mike. Thank you so much for having Jack tell his story on your podcast. It was amazing. I got sober at Aquarius on February the 10th of 1988. Gratefully, I am still sober. I was 18 then. Aquarius was my family and lovingly watched me grow up in public. LOL. I am so glad for many years of sitting in the meetings with Jack and so many other names he mentioned throughout the years. Ott, Oren, Dr. Healy, all the pilots. My sponsor was Francis Turner, and then Carol P., and then Mary Helen. Nancy and Ann Swanson were our mothers of the club. When you spoke about the vibrancy of the Aquarius group at that time, I smiled. It was crazy full. I've been in San Antonio for the last 18 years and went to the Clean Air North group in Addison, Texas, and the Frisco group before moving here. One thing is for certain, I will always be grateful for the Aquarius group our group of misfits, damaged souls that came together for healing and love. Yes, it was a lot of crazy dysfunction at the time, but it was where life began for me, and I will always be extraordinarily grateful. Please give Jack my hello and love, as well as the Aquarius group. I actually went to a meeting there this last Christmas while I was in Plano visiting my mother, and I didn't know anyone there. It was a very strange feeling. It's been many years. I was Susie D. back then, one of the three Susies, the craziest one. Keep doing what you're doing. Much love, Susie C. I passed on that feedback to our previous guest, Jack K., and he was so excited to hear from you. Please come visit us again. This next feedback comes from Tyson B. He says, Hello, sir. I'm 47 years old, per the date on my birth certificate, but my sobriety age is one. I've listened to thousands of hours of the Sober Shares podcast to augment the time between my AA meetings. I simply can't get enough. My life has been saved from alcoholic death because of the 12 steps and hearing the message and the speakers on your show. I started drinking at the age of 35, and it did not take me long till I was contemplating living under an overpass here in Oahu, Hawaii. 
after I retired from the military. I was very sick. I am grateful that I have found a real, living God. I am currently in service as the secretary for the Alamona Bonfire Meeting. From listening to your podcast, I know that you spent many years here on the island of Hawaii as a surfer on the North Shore living in the city of Haleiwa. If you're on the island in the next six months, please consider sharing your story at our meeting. Respectfully, Tyson B. Thank you very much, Tyson, for the email. And there is a chance I will be on the island of Oahu in the next six months on a surf trip and a vacation with my wife and my child. So I will reach out to you. I have your phone number saved in my cell phone. So thank you for that. And now let's turn it over to today's featured guest. Her name is Polly P. This talk was recorded at the Woodstock of AA conference on May the 6th of 2010 in Cocoa Beach, Florida. Take it away. My name's Polly Pistol, and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and by God's grace, in a program called Alcoholics Anonymous, I haven't had a drink since April the 11th of 1977. And for that, I am eternally grateful. And I have a home group, and that's the third legacy group in Bellingham, Washington. I have a sponsor, and my sponsor has a sponsor. So I am, uh, I'm a member in good standing in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous tells me that I should share in a general way that I should tell you what it was like, what happened, and what I'm like today, and I'm going to do that to the best of my ability. One of the things I want to say is, is that today I am busier in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous than I have ever been. I sponsor more people than I've ever sponsored, and I'm into more service than I've ever been into. And I have a really good reason for that, and it's very selfish. And that is, I love my life. And today, at 33 years of sobriety, I have so much to lose. I absolutely love my life. I am living, breathing proof that you can come to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and not come from the disease of alcoholism. And I am a real alcoholic, but I do not come from alcoholic parents. Now, I have heard shaken alcoholics family tree and an alcoholic will fall out. If that is the case, then it was my mother's father. However, he never drank like me. I never saw him do the things that I did. He was just the only one in our family who drank. I will assure you my parents were not the least bit impressed with my sobriety. That was not, you know, that was not, you just didn't drink, none of those things would happen to you. But what I love is, is I love the inventory steps. And uh, Michael's here this this uh, weekend, and uh, ever since the first time I heard her say this, I always think about it. She says, before I tell you my story, let me tell you my mother's story, because her story was so much worse than mine. And what I know today from the inventory steps is that I, I not only was came from non-alcoholic parents, but I came from parents who absolutely loved me. They loved me. And not only that, I am an only child. So I had all of this love. But I didn't know that I had all of this love because what I was so spiritually ill that when I came to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I would have sworn to you that nobody loved me. 
because that's the way I felt, that nobody loved me. And today, I love what our book says. Our book says that we cannot transmit that which we do not have. And you see, my parents wanted to give me self-worth and self-esteem. And my daddy, I mean, I was a daddy's girl, and he used to tell me how pretty I was. And my mom just, it was just, they loved me. But what happened was, is my parents are two abused children. And they found each other just like an alcoholic and an Al-Anon will find each other. And my parents had two different reactions to having that happen to them. My father was a man who was absolutely full of rage. And my mom was just totally closed in. And what happened was, I believe, now this is a theory, I can't prove it because I don't know, but I believe that the only difference between my dad and I is my dad just didn't take a drink. Everything else was there. He was full of rage, and I was full of rage. I was, I was a little girl, so angry, full of rage, and today I know that my parents wanted to give me everything they didn't have, but you see, they didn't have it to give. They couldn't give me self-esteem and self-worth and all those things because they didn't have it. And uh, I'm so grateful for that today because these were beautiful people. And uh, there's some Texas people here that, uh, and they know that this beautiful woman, but there was, a, there was an Al-Anon lady by the name of Marcy White. And we all hung out with her and did those things when we got sober together down in Texas. And Marcy White used to talk about, she was an Al-Anon, and she used to talk about the blessing. And she says, some of us are given the blessing from our parents and our family. And some of, them don't, some of us don't get the blessing until we come to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I, she touched me so deeply the day that she said that, that she talked about the blessing. Because, see, I was one of those people that got the blessing as a little girl. I was so loved. And what happened was all that love that my parents gave me just when I came to you and you let me know that I was loved and cherished and that I was God's kid. And my parents used to tell me that. I mean, I went to those Baptist church. I, I grew up down in Texas right where they took the Bible belt and gave it an extra pull. <laughs> so I knew about God. But I didn't hear about the God in church. I hear that today when I go to church, but I didn't hear it then. And what happened was, is I just used to hear these things, you're, you're born a sinner, you're going to burn in hell, you know, and if you've thought it, you've done it, and all of this stuff. And I, and I don't know about any of you, but I was an alcoholic in the making, and I thought a lot. So, I mean, it was just like I, I had... I had this feeling of when it came to God that I was totally hopeless, that there was, I was just too bad for God. I had already, I was just too bad for God. When I came to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, you began to talk to me about this loving God, and you began to talk to me about our parents and what they've gone through, and you have given me, I'm so grateful that my daddy lived two years after I got sober, and I am so grateful. 
because I had done, you know, I had done the steps and I had the opportunity to make amends to my parents and I had the opportunity to make amends to my daddy. And my mother lived until just uh, four years ago. And I'm just so grateful that I got those opportunities, that this program has given me those opportunities to tell them what beautiful parents they were and how much they had loved me and how much they gave me. For that, I'm truly grateful. And uh, they tried to give me a loving God. My mother used to say, we live in a God-fearing home. And boy, I'm telling you, I'm glad I live in a God-loving home tonight because I did fear that old God, I'll tell you. And now it's time for a few announcements. Please take the time to visit SoberShares.com to access our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and X for more great sober-related content. I would love you to communicate with me directly by emailing me your listener feedback. My email address is Mike at SoberShares.com. I would like to remind you that you can make a financial gift to move this show forward by clicking the donate button on our website, SoberShares.com. This donation process is simple, and your generosity will allow us to continue to bring you content at the highest level, advertisement-free. And now, let's turn our attention back to our guest. What happened for me today is, thanks to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I've always felt strange. I have no training to do this. I'm the kid in school when it's time to give a book report that I am so sick I can't show up. Because I can't stand up in front of people and talk. But thanks to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I was taught when, when you're asked to do something in AA, you do it. And because of that, I, I got up behind podiums, and I'm grateful that I was taught. But if, you don't, if you're scared to stand up here and do this, I understand. I'm still scared. Um, but anyway... Um, I always knew something was wrong with me. I just was different than other people. I thought, you know, I'm, and I thought, well, it's because I'm an only child. And then the other thing is because my name's Polly. It's not a nickname. That's my name. And, you know, if you, you know, kids tease, you know, and it's Polly wants a cracker and Polly Wally doodle all the day and all that kind of stuff. And it just, you know, I just, and I'm sensitive. I don't like to be teased. And uh, so what happened was, I didn't know what was wrong with me, but thanks to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous in the big book, I know today, I know what's wrong with me. I am suffering from a spiritual malady, and the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous tells me that if I'm suffering from a spiritual malady, nothing is enough. You cannot love me enough, you cannot give me enough, you cannot do enough. There simply is not enough for a person like me. And I am so grateful today that I know that. And there is absolutely, you cannot give it to me. I have to heal from the inside out. And I always just knew if you just give me enough, I'd be okay. When I was 18 years old, I married an Air Force officer. And I knew that I had found my knight in shining armor and we were going to sail off into the sunset and live happily ever after. And I was invited to a coffee. And I got this invitation, and on it was a big red stamp that said mandatory. 
I had to attend this coffee, and the base commander's wife was giving the coffee. And uh, I went to this coffee, and I was so terrified. I absolutely, here I was, this 18-year-old girl, and I knew that all of these women were educated. I knew that they were all sophisticated, and I had all of these feelings of just absolute inadequacy, that there was just no way I could even carry on a conversation with these, with these women. And then this base commander's wife began to tell us, all of us little second lieutenant's wives were sitting out there, and she's, she began to tell us what we would do in order to enhance our husband's career, how we would have the right dinner parties, go to the right dinner parties. The thing, you know, We would attend the functions. We would wear the right length gloves, all the things that we would do for our husbands. And I am, I'm just absolutely... I, I can't, you know, I'm just, I'm just terrified. And, uh, and that we would attend all these, you know, functions that the officer's wives club had. Well, a few weeks later, there was a luncheon. Now, I had not drank it. I had not had a drink of alcohol. I had not been around anybody who drank. And I went to that Baptist church and they told me that people who drank were bad. But I liked these people. They weren't bad. And uh, at this luncheon, they had this big fountain, and it was full of sherry. And it, you just put your glass up under the fountain, you know, and then you drink the sherry. And uh, nothing fantastic happened that day. I mean, I just, you know, Dave didn't talk about it, but sometimes Dave says, you know, when I took a drink of alcohol, it went down, and I was six foot two, my red hair turned brown, and my freckles fell off. None of those things happened to me. All I know was, for the first time in 18 years, I could take a breath. I just seemed to be able to just breathe. I, it seemed like for 18 years I had been holding my breath. And I took that drink of alcohol and I could just breathe. Now, I had no idea what happened to me that day. But what I know when I came to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and I read the doctor's opinion, it says in the doctor's opinion that alcohol gave me that feeling of ease and comfort. And that's what it was. It would, and it worked for a really long time. I could get in, I would be in social situations and I could nod in the right places and I could laugh in the right places and I could be at some sense of being comfortable around all these people that terrified me because I felt so much less than them. We got stationed in a place called Loring Air Force Base, Maine, which is like the tippy top of Maine. I had two little boys. I have no, I did not have any clue how to be a parent. And I've got these two little boys. It's 50 degrees below zero outside, so I can't send them out to play. And these two little boys are driving me crazy, and I'm having a nervous breakdown every 20 minutes. And I end up going to an Air Force doctor, and he says, take these. And from 1962 until 1977, when I entered the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I took Librium and Valium and Secanol and Nemutol and drank alcohol. And I'm here to tell you, if you take those kind of drugs and drink alcohol, you're not an active alcoholic. <laughs> now... <laughs> 
I, I sponsor people who have fabulous stories. You know, I stand up here and I just, I'm a couch potato alcoholic. I mean, I just have no big stories. Michael's here this weekend. The first time I heard she talked with a one, slept with a one-legged preacher, I'm like, that's the kind of story I want. <laughs> that's what I want to do. I managed to do all that, but I did it sober in the rooms of alcoholics. That's not when you do it. That's not when you do it. So it's, um, those were, you know, I just like, oh my God. But I just died on my living room sofa. I was not out there having fun. And the greatest gift, the greatest gift that I have in Alcoholics and Alcoholics, well, I have so many gifts, so it's, it's not the, but it's one of the, the big gifts that I have in Alcoholics Anonymous is that my life has been in session for 33 years, and I've been present for it. I've been here. I've been here for the fabulous times. I've been here for those opportunities to grow. I've been present for my life, and I could not be present for my life. I just couldn't. I didn't want to suit up and show up for life. Life was too hard for me. My husband was gone for years at a time. I had these little boys. I had all these things that I thought I had, you know, that, you know, I had to do so other people would approve of me. All of this craziness that was going on. And what I ended up doing was being a mother who should never, ever have had her children. Because, you see, I am a child abuser in every way. I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I realized what I had done to my children. I am so grateful for people in Alcoholics Anonymous who are willing to tell us the truth, whether we want to hear it or not, because I had such a sponsor. And what happened was is I'm one of these people that had a man for a sponsor, and I think God gives us exactly what we need. And my first AA sponsor had been a captain in the Navy. He had been a monsignor priest, and he was an only child. And I think God sends us exactly what we need because I was certain that what was wrong with me was the U.S. Air Force, the Baptist church, and that I was an only child. And Frank was able to remove all of that from me. When I did my fifth step with Frank, when we got through, Frank looked at me and he's, Frank didn't do watered down AA. And Frank looked at me and he said, Polly, you are a child abuser and you have abused your children in every way. And he said, what you need to do is make amends to those boys. Now, I'm here to tell you that my sons, when I got sober, were 14 and 16 years old. And he told me that I was to go to my sons and I was to make amends. And that what I was to do is I was to tell them how sorry I was that I abused them. I didn't get to say, I hurt you and stuff like that. I had to use the terms to let them know that having me for a mother was not good because I was incapable of taking care of my children. I had abused them emotionally, physically, spiritually, and by blatant neglect. He talks about being a little boy, maybe 10 years old. And uh, he gets up one morning, because I can no longer put my kids to bed, and I can no longer get them up for school. And uh, at any rate, he gets up, and his mother is passed out on the floor, in the kitchen floor, and a drink is spilt. 
And this is, this is the reality of a 10-year-old who lives with alcoholism. And the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says that this is a family disease and that anybody who lives with a practicing alcoholic is affected by the disease of alcoholism. And my children were traumatized by this disease. And what James does is he steps over me. He gets his cereal. He gets his milk. He gets his bowl. He puts it together. He steps back over me and sits down and eats his breakfast and feels nothing. Absolutely, completely shut down. That's the disease of alcoholism. My oldest son was my caretaker. And many a time I've come to with him shaking me, Mom, wake up, wake up, are you dead? And me to come to and see the fear in his eyes. And you know, for 33 years, I haven't had to come to and see that kind of fear in anybody's eyes because of something I'm doing. And for that, I've been overpaid in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I'll just tell you a couple of things that got me to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I had a car wreck in Irving, Texas, and that would bring me to treatment for the first time. And uh, I ended up, I'm a blackout drinker. It was a sort of a long story. But anyway, I called the police and told them that my car had been stolen. Here comes the police and my husband. And I get taken to the Irving police station. And uh, the policeman looked at my husband with so much disgust. And he said, why don't you just take her home and sober her up? And on the way home, my husband said, Polly, there's a treatment center, and it's not far from our house, and I wish you would go. And that night I entered treatment for the first time. Now, this was a county detox. This was no fancy jitter joint. And uh, I entered this county detox, and they started taking us to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I absolutely loved it. I loved the loving. I loved the fellowship. I mean, we are, a, we are a program of attraction. And I loved the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. But something inside of me said, Polly, people like you don't become alcoholic. Dr. Tebolt says in every alcoholic, there's two characteristics, grandiosity and defiant individuality. Dave says only an alcoholic can lay in the gutter feeling superior to those looking down on him. <laughs> and what happened was I'm saying that people like me don't become alcoholic. But what happened in that treatment center is I had one of those jitterhouse romances, you know, where you walk off into happy destiny. And uh, we stayed sober for 58 days. And I was 12-stepped out of a motel in Euless, Texas, and brought back into that treatment center. And I had been beaten up in numerous and sundry other things. And I'd reached that place in the big book that talks about pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And I knew that I could not live sober. There was no way that I could live sober. I love to hear Clancy talk. I just feel like that he can, he can just tell, you know, he just can talk about the pain of the alcoholic. And he talks about, you know, trying to commit suicide and what happens to him when he doesn't drink. And I knew that I could not live sober inside my own skin. And uh, I couldn't live with the kind of mom I'd become, the wife. I couldn't live with the daughter I'd become. I just couldn't live inside my own skin. When that seven days was up, I left that treatment center, and I got a bottle of scotch and a bottle of Valium, and I checked into a motel. 
I don't believe that anybody's in this room that doesn't have an angel in their life, someone who leads us to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I had such a woman in my life. She knew nothing about AA, but she loved me. And she said this day that something came over her. And today I know that that was God working in my life through her. And she drove around until she found my car parked outside this motel. And I had the door hadn't latched. I had just closed it. And she pushed it open, and she found me laying there. And on April the 8th of 1977, I was pronounced dead on arrival in a hospital in Bedford, Texas. Now, that didn't take, because I'm standing here tonight. But I just need to, to just talk about God's grace. God's grace. Dave just got through talking and saying, you know, God did overnight what I couldn't do. The grace of God. And I believe grace, Webster's Dictionary says it's a gift unearned, that we have been given the grace of the gift of sobriety. And I believe that anybody who walks in the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous is given the gift, the grace, to be sober. The really sad thing is, is that most of us lay it on the chair and walk back out. I am so grateful today. I love that writing in the um, in uh, our daily reflection where it says, sobriety is God's gift to me. What I do with my sobriety is my gift back to God. Because I, there isn't anything today I wouldn't do because I have been graced with the gift of sobriety. I, I am a mother who loved her children. I wanted to show up at ball games. I wanted to be my oldest son as a musician, and I wanted to be at, you know, at his bands and all of the stuff that he was doing, but I couldn't get there, and I wanted to. I loved them, but I couldn't show up for my children. And what happens for me is, is that I get 51 to uh, a psychiatric hospital, which was enough time for my husband to obtain a court order from a Fort Worth judge that said I was a detriment to myself and others, and I was court committed to a treatment center in Dallas, Texas. And I entered that treatment center on April the 11th of 1977. And by God's grace, I haven't had a drink since. And on page, and a vision for you on page 164, it says, that if we stay spiritually fit, that great events will come to pass. That's the great fact for us all. And um, I want I've got 20 minutes, and I want to. I want to share with you my great events that have come to pass. When I got out of that treatment center, Frank, who was the one who had 12-stepped me out of that uh, motel, I asked him to be my sponsor, and uh, I just knew that that. I, I knew that women are supposed to ask women and all that, but I just knew that he was the one that was supposed to be the that was supposed to help me. And uh, he started telling me to get busy in the rooms with Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I come from Texas, so we do the steps quickly. And and I met Michael, and when her and I hooked up together, she does this. We did the steps quickly as well. I take people through the steps, real, you know, a few days. And uh, so what happened was, as I was, as soon as I got out of treatment, Frank took me through the steps. Now, while I was in treatment, it was a it was a five step treatment center, and I had written this, you know, my life story. And Frank says that that'll make a great novel, but it doesn't do anything for inventory. So we're gonna, you know, we're gonna we're gonna get busy here on the steps, and. Uh, 
And what happened was, is he believed getting you into service quickly. And just like Bill talked about in his story, getting, you know, that's going to be, that's the thing that is going to keep us sober more than anything else, and that's working with others. And uh, he said, if you have 15 minutes of sobriety, more than that newcomer coming in the door, share that 15 minutes. Just get busy and do something in AA. And I got busy in AA, and I fell in love with Alcoholics Anonymous. I absolutely fell in love with this program. Now, I did everything in the first three years of my sobriety that you shouldn't do. I mean, everything you shouldn't do. I, I got divorced. I had numerous and a sundry affairs because I was one of these people that just knew if you just love me enough, I'd be okay. If you just love me enough. And I had to hit a bottom in this program sober. And uh, I'm so grateful that, you know, that I stayed sober. I am just so grateful that I stayed sober because I know that my story is not unique. There's a lot of women who come into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous thinking some man is going to fix them. Now, I was married. I mean, our, I mean, and all of this is just, it was just insanity. And uh, Dave had been my buddy. And we had been, I've known Dave since I was six months sober. And we were just friends. We were just AA buds. Now, Dave sponsored a lot of the guys that I was a little more friendly with. So he... <laughs> He knew more about me than he needed to. But anyway, uh, <laughs> when uh, I was three and a half years sober and Dave was four and a half years sober, I mean, we weren't that sober. Uh, Dave looked at me and he said, Polly, I'm in love with you. And he said, but you need to get something straight. I don't want to have an affair with you. I want to marry you. And, you know, things like that aren't supposed to happen to people like me. And, uh, you know, God willing and the creek don't rise, Dave and I will be married 30 years in October. And that's a great event. It's come to pass. And I still think he's the cutest guy in the room in his bright green shirt. And, you know, it's just... It's wonderful, and it's been a journey. I mean, it has absolutely been the greatest journey. We have had this journey together in Alcoholics Anonymous. And life's been in session. Uh, Dave, I mean, we, we're busy in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Dave sponsors guys. I sponsor gals. Now, Dave works in an area of service that I don't work in. Dave loves working in the area. He's our district uh, treasurer. Now, I don't, do, I don't do well in that level of service. I, I do better at the group level. And, uh, but Dave and I are busy in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we've got to make this walk together. But life's been in session. Dave and I got married. We had two kids each. So we put these four kids together. You know, if you want to know what an order, put some stepkids together. That's just loads of fun. And, uh, and out of those stepkids, we used to say three of them were alcoholics and drug addicts, and the other one had grave emotional and mental disorders. But now we found out all four of them are alcoholics and drug addicts. So, you know, just, you know, just, don't, just don't leave five minutes before the miracle because my oldest son got sober and I was 32 years sober. So don't ever leave five minutes before the miracle. And uh, 
Dave and I had were we did we were doing a lot of stuff in Southern California, and you know we were really involved. And then uh, the bottom fell out of aerospace, and Dave and I got our house foreclosed on, and we had to file bankruptcy. And oh my God, I was so humiliated. And and I've got a sponsor, and Dottie's walked through a lot of adversity, and she was saying you got to get up and share everything. Well, I don't want to share that stuff. You know, I don't want to share that stuff. I just want to share, you know, God, I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. I got sober and everything's wonderful. <laughs> and uh, and that's not, that's not life. That's not life. We come in here and life's in session. And uh, Frank Honeycutt said, you know, you can't, I didn't want to talk anymore because I was just too, I was too embarrassed and too ashamed. And, uh, and Frank says, I said, well, what will people think of me? And Frank says, you know, it's none of your business what people think of you, but your very life depends on what you think of them. And uh, so I, I just kept going. And Dave and I had this fabulous sponsorship, and it was just, we were we were taught how to do things in Alcoholics Anonymous, even when you don't look good. You just go on and you do things in Alcoholics Anonymous. And Dave looked at me one day and he said, Polly, we're going to be fine. He said, Chris Christopherson wrote a song and Janis Joplin sang it. When's freedom's heaven, nothing left to lose. And he says, you know, all that stuff is just stuff. It's just stuff. He says, you know, we're going to be fine. He says, we have God, we have AA, and we have each other. It's going to be fine. And it has been fine. And we've had, you know, we've, Dave, we lost Dave's oldest son to cancer, and he was sober in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's really hard to do that. And we've lost friends and my, our parents, and we've, I've lost sponsees. And it's just, it, the thing that happens is, is we stay here, and we stay sober, and we do life. And I am so grateful for the program of Alcoholics Anonymous that that has happened, that we that we stayed and we did the things that we were told to do, and uh, and life just has been wonderful. Dave and I have been retired for six years, so I get to hang out with him 24/7, and I really like that, and it's uh, it's great. I just want to tell you a little bit about. Uh, my grandkids and my kids. And I have five grandchildren. I am a dynamite grandma. <laughs> and my, my granddaughters that live in Southern California, my oldest sons, oh, and let me tell you something. I can't even believe this. Sunday, it's Mother's Day, but my oldest son will be 50. <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe that. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's I don't know about any of the rest of you, but I pass a mirror and I want to say, who is that old woman? You know, it's just it's just not right. And here my here my granddaughter Katie's always saying, Grandma, you're just not like other people's grandma. Because I'm the kind, you know, you go out to Disneyland or you go out to Knott's Berry Farm and you get on those uh, roller coasters and then you get down and then you run around and you get back on it again, you know. And it's like, you got, you know, that's... An, 
I mean, you know, that's what I do. And so it's like, how can this be happening? But I'm a good grandma today. And uh, my kids respect me. They let me have my grandchildren. They let me have my grandchildren. And they, they let me take care of them. They leave them with me. They trust me with my grandchildren. And that's a beautiful gift. When I was six and a half years sober, my youngest son came to me, and he said, Mom, I want what you have. And uh, James did not want what I had six and a half years before. Six and a half years before, I was supposed to attend a function at his school. And he said, don't you dare show up at my school because I am ashamed of you. And six and a half years later, he wants what I have. He's married to Kelly, and Kelly is also sober. And James and Kelly have three children. And I have watched these two people in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous that is just amazing. Because what happened with James and Kelly is their first child was born deaf. And I watched them take this child who was born deaf. When it first happened, all of us were just, we were just so shook up. Because, I mean, here we wanted this baby so bad. And, you know, all, and I just was, I was just so angry with God. And I said, you know, how can our child be deaf when all these people have babies and they're born perfect and they don't even want them? And we wanted our babies so bad. But, you know, one more time, Clancy talks about alcoholism, a disease of perception, that my perception of reality was distorted. I had no idea what God was about to gift our family with. But what happened is, is I have watched them be relieved of the bondage of self, and it has never cost too much taken too much time, whatever was necessary for them to take care of Ryan was done. Absolutely amazing. And they have Chris and Maddie. And uh, one time James and I were speaking together at a conference and this lady walked up to me and she said, oh, you have to be so proud of him. Look what you've done with him. I said, sweetheart, AA did that. You should have seen him when I had him. <laughs> Oh, my God. I got sober in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I realized that he was a full-blown drug addict. He could have been here at 16. And, uh, you know, it's just amazing what happens in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and what has happened with our children. Both of my sons, my oldest son and his wife have, di have just divorced, and my youngest son is having problems, and I just, I just keep praying, you know, that everybody's got a God. Every Everybody's got a higher power, and it's not me. And all I need to do is just stay sober and just be there. And that's and the rest of it is going to take place like it's going to take place. I just want to tell you this little story. Dave used to tell this story in his in his talk, and he's quit doing it. So I'm going to tell it because it's my it's really my story. <laughs> but I'm going to so I'm going to start telling it. When I was in uh, Center Hospital, I got court committed there. And uh, I was put in a detox room, and I started getting nervous. You know, when you start coming off booze and drugs and all that stuff, you get nervous. And so I'm running up to the nurse's station, and I said, I want my tablets. The director of that program came up to me, and he said, not this time, Polly. You need to know how sick you really are. He said, here's a shot of Dilantin, and we're not going to let you die. But you need to know how sick you really are. 
Four days later, I walked out of that detox room, and I had pulled out most of my hair, and I clawed up my body, and I was just so angry. And uh, I just told him, you, you just don't treat people the way you've just treated me. And Bill took my shoulders with as much love as I've ever felt from another person. And he looked at me and he said, Polly, if you make it, you're going to love me. If you don't, it really doesn't matter. And I just want to say, if you're new in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, or maybe you're not new, but maybe you're, you know, your sponsors kind of got their finger in your chest telling you to do things you don't want to do, and maybe you don't think it's a very good idea, we just want everybody here to be sober and enjoy this wonderful life. And the way you get sober and you stay sober is you work the steps and you work the traditions and you work the concepts. And with these things, we get to have this beautiful life and to get busy into service. And if that sponsor is doing that to you, all I can say is, if you make it, you'll love us. If you don't, really doesn't matter. God bless you. I love you. And that'll do it for another episode of the Sober Shares podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you on the next episode. And remember, if nobody's told you they love you today, I do. I love you. I care about you. I value you.